Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. Today we're going to be sharing a story with Yvonne Rediger. I'm always concerned I get people's names wrong. Yvonne Rediger. Welcome! Thank you so much for coming to join us today. You're coming all the way from uh, Manitoba, right? No. Priestville, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Okay. Um, I had another author coming from Manitoba, so I, I got my wires crossed there. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to learn more about your work. This is the first time you and I get to meet, so I'm just as excited as all of our listeners about hearing your story. Well, thank you um, for having me. I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you, and then we're going to talk about your book. Yvonne Rediger was born in Saskatchewan lived and worked in northern Manitoba, Alberta, New Brunswick, and Vancouver Island, British Columbia. She currently writes from her home in rural Saskatchewan. Yvonne has been writing since she was in her teens. Her favorite genres are mystery, urban fantasy, paranormal, and romance, each with a bit of humor. She is a member of the Saskatchewan Writers Guild, Saskatchewan Romance Writers, and International Thrill Writers. She is married to her scuba diving buddy, who is also her sailboat captain. I like that. She has two children. Again, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Today you're going to be reading from your cozy mystery called Condo Crazy. I'm going to let everybody know a little bit about that book. I'm just going to read the back matter synopsis because the book is new to me as well, so I'm super excited. Gladys Wyatt is busy with her home bakery business. She needs to keep up with the expenses on her new condo. It would help if Linda would stop flooding the place. Freddie isn't much bothered by the damage Linda's causes. He's more caught up in defending his medical plants from Lara Finkel, the one-time mistress of the late embezzler mayor. How can Lara afford a unit in a new building anyway? Arlyle Birch thinks he knows, but not everyone agrees. It would also be great if Enid, the building manager, and Duane, the condo board president, would stop coming up with new bylaws that threaten her bakery business. This makes the condo board meetings quite contentious. When Gladys is accused by Anne Westcott of hanging prank banners on the waterworks building, is it possible the prank plank Excuse me, the pranks could be related to the thief plaguing the village? Gladys suspects it was the thief who injured Matthew's dog. She is shocked to find a body half outside the garage. Could the thief also be responsible for the murder? 
She reminds her granddaughter to keep the condo doors locked. But will that be enough? This sounds like a spectacular book. I can't wait to hear you read this. <laughs> um, so I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, Yvonne. And when you are ready, please read aloud Condo Crazy. Alrighty. Chapter One. Arlie Birch squinted a glare at the Monday morning ferry. It wasn't what he saw through the cafe window which made him frown. It was the persistence of a bad feeling. Trouble was coming. He could feel it. He sucked air in between his teeth, a distur bit disturbed by the odd sensation. Only once before in his life had he experienced anything like this. Not since his Sarah had sat him down to give him the bad news about her health. Arlie refolded the white cleaning cloth and pushed that terrible memory away. Tables needed wiping. Still, he hesitated, caught up in the moment. Distantly, he registered, car and truck engines starting up. The noise came from vehicles set to depart Musgrave Landing. He blinked, coming back to himself. Resolutely, he lifted his chin to watch the vessel neatly, slide neatly into its berth at the edge of the pier. This was the signal for the crew to begin the process of lowering the ramp. The men and women moved about efficiently as they completed their task. Lined up on the road, numerous local vehicles waited for transport across the Samsung Narrows to the bigger island. Some were villagers on their way to work and had just been customers of the cafe. Hopefully, those arriving would be customers too. At seven in the morning, the June sun was well up. They were closing in on the longest day of the year. The warmth of the sun on the side of his face helped lift his mood, but still, Arlie couldn't shake the odd feeling. It had receded a bit though. He scanned the early arrivals from the north window of Jane's Eats and Treats. He looked for some sign to explain his premonition, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. He watched the village bound vehicles disembark the Musgrave Landing Ferry. One by one, the traffic, mostly delivery trucks, drove either uphill to High Street or turned left to take Coast Road. You're a crazy fool, he berated himself. You're getting paranoid. With the cafe deserted, there was no one to hear him mutter out loud. Well, save for him and Jane. There was only the low mumble of the local radio in the background, and it easily blotted out his remarks. Even if Jane heard him, she'd ignore it. She was good that way. Arlie got busy spraying and wiping down the tables recently vacated. It was easier to shrug off the strange feeling if he stayed busy. Coffee cups, breakfast plates, and cutlery quickly went into the gray, dirty dishes bin. After the tables were clean, he turned to the coffee station to clear up the morning mess. He wiped down the counters and then he crossed the room and entered the kitchen. At his age, Arlie never thought he'd be working as a barista in a cafe, but it beat the hell out of being bored at home. Everyone needed a reason to get up in the morning, especially if you were a widower with a grown married son. After Sarah had passed away, Arlie had briefly tried to get a job on the bigger island in his old profession as a mechanical engineer and had been met with dismal failure. Things changed quickly in the job sector. He knew age was a deterrent. So too his level of professional certification, which could command a top wage. Not that he wanted the stress again or the commute. He was overqualified for everything else. None of it mattered now. 
He opened the empty commercial dishwasher and began to load the machine from long practice. It still surprised him to admit he liked this job. He enjoyed talking to customers, hearing their news. Who needed stress anyway? His boss was a lovely person, and he thought that even before she'd married his son, Jack. Right from the beginning, Jane had treated him with respect and valued his opinion. He would make sure he emulated that when he found a young person to help out over the summer at the cafe. Arlie glanced over at his daughter-in-law. She was busy working by the stovetop, finishing up the lunchtime soup special. He sniffed appreciatively. Chicken noodle with fresh parsley, always popular, even in early summer. Smells good, he allowed. Jane flashed him a smile, thanks. He turned, returned to the cafe proper to get the next load of dishes when a flash of red caught his attention. He grunted when he saw the sports car. It turned right off Coast Road and then took a hard left. He knew already Lara Finkel was behind the steering wheel of the flash car. Without signaling, she cut across the ferry traffic and narrowly avoided colliding with a navy blue plumbing van exiting the ferry. The driver of the van stood on the brakes and Lara slipped by unscathed. Arlie sucked air in through his teeth. Stupid stunt, he muttered under his breath. Heath plumbing was stenciled in white letters on the side of the box-shaped vehicle. He waited to see if the driver would get out and give Laura a piece of his mind. After a moment's pause, the van brakes flashed off and the van continued along the road to signal and turn left onto Coast Road. He grunted again. He probably didn't think that silly woman was worth his time. Ironically, Lara was now hung up between the departing lane of traffic and the parking lot. She required a ticket if she wanted to board the ferry and had to park to get one. This made Arlie grin. The residents were not letting Lara cut through their line. They all knew who, who she was and all about her disreputable past. Arlie snorted a laugh as he took up the dirty dishes tub. He went back to the kitchen to finish loading the dishwasher. It was about time Karma caught up with that woman. When he returned, the ferry traffic had cleared. Arlie shifted his attention to the east window. Movement caught, movement outside had caught his eye. This window overlooked the small parking lot which belonged to the cafe. The deceased mayor's mistress abruptly swung her scarlet red convertible into the parking lot, breaking the 20 kilometer an hour posted speed restriction by a considerable margin. Tail lights glared brightly as she hit the brake and came to a halt. Great, just great. Arlie had no time for people like Lara Finkel. The woman was a nuisance. He had hoped she was getting straight onto the ferry. The fabric top of the car was down and Lara's blonde mane looked a tangled mess. By the tight expression on her face, she was in a nasty mood. Lyra wasn't a pleasant person at the best of times, but she usually avoided the cafe. Probably she had bad memories from the place. She had been questioned by the cops in the back room as a, a suspect in her boyfriend's murder. Why Lara Finkel decided to curse them with her presence today was anybody's guess. Arlie compressed his lips into a flat line. Customers were customers. He resigned himself to the fact he would have to deal with whatever was to come. He would be civil, even to those vain female senior citizens who dressed 40 years younger than their true age. He would not hurt Jane's business reputation, not for the world. So running his mouth, even if some people had more nerve than a toothache, was not the way to go. 
he hoped the self-talk would stick, but wouldn't bet on it. Behind the counter, he retrieved the refilled coffee dispensers and walked them across to the front of the cafe. Just then, another vehicle appeared at the top of the hill. The current mayor's gray minivan. This vehicle rolled into the lot as well. The second vehicle parked next to the red car, possibly a bit too close. Arlie hardly gave the mayor a glance as he placed a medium blend coffee air pot between the other two coffee dispensers on the back, count corner, back counter by the door. Usually he liked to watch the comings and goings. He was fascinated with people, curious about each of them and their business. Snoopy actually, if he were truthful. Anyway, he wasn't a gossip, not at all. He noticed Lara Finkel fussing as she looked into her vanity mirror. She was trying to fix her hair. Irritably, she slapped the cover closed and flung open her driver's side door. As she tried to emerge from her car, her wide door would not open all the way. The van impeded its path. Lara's jaw flexed as she gritted her teeth and slowly edged her way out of the car. Laura, Lara turned to look a look of distaste on the late model van. Then she dismissed it as she turned away to grab a tan leather handbag, which sat on the passenger seat. The strap caught on the emergency brake and refused to obey Lara. Arlie paused, eyebrows raised, watching Lara haul on the bag. If she'd only walk around to the other side, she wouldn't have this problem. He could see she was more than merely out of sorts. Not only was her hair messed up, her beige suit was creased and rumpled. The black stuff, what was it called? Women put it around their eyes. Mascara, yeah. It was smeared. His late wife, Sarah, never used the stuff, nor did Jane or his friend, Gladys Wyatt, and he approved. Le Arlie realized this was not Lara's usual sleekly groomed, polished exterior. Had a hard night, did we? Marty Arlie muttered to himself and not without humor. Then he shook his head, none of his business. Lately, he'd been making an effort to keep his nose out of other people's petty affairs, especially now he had a bigger goal in mind. Change was possible, wasn't it? Even when a man was 68? Arlie took his familiar position beside the counter and waited. From his angle, he could see Mayor Ann Westcott exit her vehicle and come striding around the corner of the van. Her scowl was directed toward the window and Arlie felt it was aimed at him. She obviously didn't see Lara and ran right into her, knocking the older woman back a couple of steps. The impact made Anne drop the wad of paper she was carrying and also knocked the angry look off her face. I'm sorry, Anne sputtered. Arlie could hear the muffled apology, but it didn't look like it did any good. Jane, your sister's here, Arlie called back to his boss. Things were about to get interesting. Okay, thanks, Jane's words drifted into from the kitchen. But Arlie's attention was back on the exchange outside. He leaned forward, hands resting on the spotless counter to hear their words better. He wasn't snooping, just interested. The parking lot was public access, wasn't it? You stupid git, Lara said sharply. She employed her elbows and round balked to push past Anne. Just get out of my way. She beat the older woman to the door, leaving Anne to pick up her stream of paper. The banner was now on the ground with one corner wet from a two foot mud puddle by her right rear tire and turning brown. Uh-oh, Arlie muttered. He was sure he recognized the stream of paper. He refocused as Lara pulled the coffee shop door open. 
The bell over the door gave a flat clank, not its usual musical tinkle. She briskly stalked up to the counter. I want a large drip coffee, strong. Arlie blinked at the abrupt woman's matter. Sure, that'll be 250, please, he said. Coffee cups and lids. Coffee cups and lids are behind you along the north wall, under the window, along with the cream and sugar. His tone was clipped, but not unfriendly. Lara Finkel was a customer, he reminded himself again, so he gave her a small, pleasant smile. He would be civil, even if she wasn't. Her involvement in an illicit affair with Musgrave Landing's former embezzling mayor, Tim Stanhope, ended with Tim's murder. That was over two years ago. Arlie knew it would be best if he could forget those events and set them aside. The murderer had been caught and the whole episode resolved. Well, mostly. He could hear Lara grind her teeth as she dug a hand at the bottom of her purse. Her reaction made him smile, made his smile evolve into a grin. His good humor appeared to annoy her. She pulled out some change and threw the coins on the counter. Then, without any further words, she turned her back on him and made for the coffee station. Quietly, he gathered up the money. Sure, he could set his opinion of the woman aside. He counted the money. Like any small town, Lara's connection with Tim Stanhope was certainly not going to be forgotten. He just shouldn't allow it to spill out. The change was sorted and dropped into the cash register by the time Anne flung the red French door open in her usual way. The bell over the door tinkled as the restraining hinge did its job, stopping the door from slamming against the wall. Arlie merely sighed at the determined expression on the slender 40-something woman's face. Lara, who now clutched a to-go cup of hot coffee, grabbed Anne's arm, grabbed Anne by the arm as she entered the cafe. The older woman yanked the mayor to a halt. Have you been talking to the police? What? Anne was totally nonplussed by Lara's grab, grabbing her arm. She twisted her wrist and pulled free from, to remove the contact. Lara dropped her hand, but moved forward to stand in front of Anne, blocking her path from the counter. While Anne was younger and taller, Lara was much more aggressive. Has there been any progress on finding the thief who's terrorizing the village? I was robbed last night. Anger and impatience salt, salted her tone. No, not that I know of, but the RCMP don't report to me. Anne took a step sideways from the belligerent woman. She composed herself and put on her politician's face. I'm sorry to hear you've been robbed. When did this happen? What was taken? Lara snorted like she didn't believe Anne was sorry at all. Either last night or early this morning, they got my... She broke off as she clamped her mouth shut. Arlie lifted bushy salt and pepper eyebrows as he unabashedly listed, listened in. Lara stopped mid-sentence either from emotion or because she didn't want to share what was stolen from her. Interesting. Lara waved away her previous words and leaned in to scowl at Anne. Never mind what they took. I want those criminals locked up and I demand you do something to make it happen. I'm sorry, but you aren't the only person in the village who's had their property stolen. Maybe call the RCMP detachment or for an update, check their media profile. And suggested in her polished professional tone. Lara pointed a scarlet painted talon at the mayor. Look, this situation has gone way beyond porch pirates. You should demand the cops report their progress to you. It's what they get paid for. She looked Anne up and down with a disgusted look on her face. You could do your job better, you know. 
the village is being plagued by a gang of thieves. You need to demand the cops do more to catch them. Hot coffee slopped over the rim of her cup with her agitated movements, but Laura didn't see, Lara didn't seem to notice. Arlie widened his eyes at Lara's words. Was Anne gonna let that pass without comment? Well, he couldn't. Arms folded over his chest, he rocked back on his heels. Because it's just that easy, he said, keeping the tone of his commentary even. Lara cut her eyes to him, but ignored his words. Anne glanced, darted over to him as well. She narrowed her eyes, compressed her lips, and her fingers curled into the crumpled paper she held in her right hand. He could see her temper rising again from her flushed complexion. Arlie couldn't blame the mare, at least not for the current cry wave anyway. It appeared Lara wasn't done. You are accountable or should be for this mess. We didn't have thieves running around the village when Tim was mayor. That's because at the time, Stin Tim Stanhope was the village's biggest thief, Anne said crisply. Arlie laughed, he couldn't help himself. Ha, she got you there. Lara turned her glare back on him, lifting her upper lip off her front teeth to glare, to snarl at him. He kept going. Everyone knows about the embezzlement and the fraud he committed against the provincial and municipal governments. He stole money that belonged to the village. Tim ripped off us taxpayers, so don't act so indignant. Exactly, Anne gave Gnarly an odd before she continued. Now, everyone needs to keep a close watch on their properties. I suggest you do the same. Someone will see something soon. They'll report it and the police will catch the people responsible for the thefts. Anne made to go around Lara. Have you reported your theft to the RCMP, Lara? You are completely useless. Do you know that? Lara said into the younger woman's face and then brushed past Anne. She swung the door open and stalked out of the cafe. In the parking lot, Lara gunned her engine and did a 180 degree turn to put her car in the queue for the ferry. Anne threw an irritated glance at Lara's direction. As she turned away, she expelled a frustrated breath and then Anne turned to lock her hard gaze on Arlie. Oh, not good. Chapter two, Jane's sister narrowed her eyes at Arlie. Jaw thrust out, she marched up to the counter. Her pixie cut brown hair stood out from her head like a cat's bristling fur as she glared, as her glare pinned Arlie in place. What do you know about this? Coming soon, chalet coffee sign. She flung the crumpled paper at him. The torn paper bounced off the bib of his black apron and landed on the clean counter, dusting it with sand. Arlie wrinkled his nose in distaste. This banner was hanging above the door on the new pump house building. Menace permeated each one of Anne's words. I know it was you, she stabbed her index finger at him. Arlie shifted his feet, but managed to keep his expression neutral. He ignored the signage, and picked up the spare 40 cents Lara had left behind. Playing for time, he dumped the coins into the Ethel Crawley beautification project jar. Slowly, he turned back to Anne. There's a new sh coffee shop coming to the village? Jane won't be happy about that, he said innocently, and picked up a new white clean cloth, cleaning cloth from the stack under the counter and edged back along its length to make his way over to the espresso machine. The half wall was between them now and offered some protection to the older man. Don't be obtuse, Anne said through clenched teeth as she followed him and stood opposite. She had to rise up on tiptoe to glare at the older man. 
I know you're behind this misinformation campaign. She stabbed her index finger at him again. I know it's you. You put these signs up on the new facility she accused. You're behind the attacks on my record as mayor, aren't you? Harley ignored her last question as he polished residue from the machine's chrome. While it was true Anne had used her authority as mayor to support her pet cause, the ECBH, Ethel Crawley Beautification Project, she hadn't actually used her position for her own gain, not like Tim Stanhope had. All the funds raised for Anne's deceased aunt's charity were accounted for. The members of the charity board published a financial statement in the local paper once a year. The board followed the example of the village council regarding the budget, transparency, and accountability. Anne, as mayor, was completely honest, and there was no disputing that fact. Finally, Arlie shifted his eyes to look at her. I've heard the council thinks they can add the expense of those old growth cedar beams, flashy black granite facade, and paved parking lot for the new pump house to our property taxes. The result being everyone's rates will go through the roof. He folded his arms over his chest emphatically, but kept the rest of his expression neutral, waiting for her response. From the widening of her eyes, he gauged he'd hit the mark. The municipality chose those materials to ensure the building is in keeping with the surroundings. Musgrave Landing Village Council had little control over the auxiliary pump house was constructed or how it was finished. That said, I like how the facility turned out and so do many other people. Right, said Arlie with heavy disdain. Wait until they get their tax bills. He moved on to wiping down the countertops. Still has to be paid for and most who like it, like it haven't considered that the muni doesn't pay for anything. All funds spent are taxpayer supplied, even grant money. Anne waved Arlie's words away. Of course we have to pay our share, but the village needed the auxiliary pumping station. We had enough problems last year when the water was shut off to fix the access from the river. We need a secondary water source. Jane entered from the kitchen. She stepped around Arlie and slid a rack of chocolate chip cookies into the display case. The sisters shared the same dark brown hair, but Anne's was long and braided in contrast to, sorry, Jane's was long and braided in contrast to Anne's. She had green eyes to her elder sister's dark brown ones, and Jane was also shorter and curvier. But in Arlie's opinion, who would trust a skinny baker? She was also married to his son, Jack, and he couldn't be happier in Jack's choice of bride. Jane was fairly close to perfect in Arlie's mind. Yes, the new facility is a good thing, Jane said, entering into the conversation. You were elected on the promise of spending accountability and other things. If property taxes go up for residents, taxes go up for businesses too. She closed the sliding door on the display case and walked up to the counter. That said, what happened to all the money Tim Stanhope embezzled? I thought the RCMP got the funds back. She picked up a, the soiled paper from the counter, opened it, to read the banner and then tossed a lot into the garbage under by the sink. Arlie wiped the sand from the counter and dropped the soil cloth and the laundry basket inside the kitchen door. Not all of it, Anne said. She heaved a sigh and tugged down the jacket of her powder blue suit. Some grant funds are not accounted for. Jane shook her head as she washed her hands. Arlie grunted at this too. At least Jane's presence seemed to take some of the wind out of his sister's sails. Anne ran an agitated hand through her short cropped hair. 
The bulk of the money they returned to us has been spent to fix infrastructure in the roads, just as I promised. But yes, the village will have to contribute a big chunk of money for the cost of the new pump house. And once we know the total cost, taxes may have to be raised. She gave a one shoulder shrug. An extravagant amount, I'm betting, Arlie piped up and merely compressed her lips, not looking at him or answering him. Like every politician ever elected, with a dismissive sniff, Arlie began the process of creating a, a, a caramel vanilla latte. Jane leaned a hip against the counter in her usual spot and folded her arms. How much is still missing? The cafe owner asked, tipping her head in inquiry. I don't actually know, not exactly, your sister said, over the hiss and spit of the coffee machine. Possibly half a million dollars, maybe more. Selena would know. Selena Nichols, a professional accountant, was re-elected councillor at the same time and was chosen as mayor. Selena held the position of treasurer for the village. Jane locked her eyes on her sister. Is yelling at my father-in-law about those silly signs a symptom of your frustration with the village finances? Arlie blinked at how Jane stressed her relationship with him, and he felt a spark of warmth, which triggered a small smile. He shifted his eyes between the sisters as he worked the machine. With her calm and reasonable tone, one would think Anne was the elder, certainly wiser of the two. Sorry, that should be Jane. Anne looked over at Arlie and met his gaze. Yes, I guess so, she released another sigh as her eyes skittered away. Early chance to glance at Jane, no reaction. I think that sign was a harmless prank, Jane said, while her, she gave her sister a steady look. It appears to me to be a protest by some villagers against the project's management and procurement decisions, not a slight against you. Besides, why would Arlie do such a thing? And when would he have time? He's much too busy working here and lately helping Gladys move into her new condo. You think so? Anne gave Arlie a hard look, like she didn't quite believe it. Arlie had the feeling she wasn't buying it, so he tried to look as innocent as possible, adding a gentle smile for the mayor. Yes, Jane said firmly, but there was a warning in the simple word. He was touched again by Jane's defense. He also experienced a flash of guilt, but got over it quickly. Anne breathed in through her nose and turned to look at the old man again. I'm sorry, Arlie. He lifted a shoulder in response as he poured flavored steamed milk and strong coffee into a cardboard to coke cup. He was glad Jane knew how to handle his, her sister's volatile moods, artists, who could figure them out. Arlie finished the drink off with a stylized heart in foam, milk foam. No hard feelings, he said, and moved to place the hot beverage on the counter in front of his daughter-in-law's sister. Anne lifted her sculpted eyebrows at the coffee. On the house, Jane said, and placed a lid on, on top before she slid the cardboard cup across to her sibling. Thanks, Anne wrapped long fingers around the latte and gave him and her sister a nod. No problem, Arlie said as Anne made her way out of the cafe and back to her vehicle. The two watched Jane's sister get in her minivan. She started the old vehicle, backed out of the lot, turned and drove up High Street towards the village office. You have to stop, Jane flattened her lips as she shifted her gauge to look at him. Arlie kept his eyes on the fan as the tail lights disappeared. I only held the ladder. 
Very nice. Thank you so much. And now I've just added a new book to my TBR. Thank you. Thank you. Um, tell me, what was your favorite part about writing this book? Arlie. Arlie is my favorite part. Yeah. He's Why? a character. Why? What, what makes him your favorite? Well, when you have to, you write the main characters, they're very nice people and the whole deal. But Arlie, he can say and do whatever he wants. So you can kind of just kind of, he reminds me of my dad. So my dad he had no filter. <laughs> there was no filter. Anything that he thought it came out and most of the time it was quite humorous. So writing him is, is, is fun. It sounds like it. I'm looking forward to reading this book. Thank you so much for coming today and reading to us. Well, thank you for having me. I hope you'll come back and read from another of your nine or ten books that you have. Absolutely, anytime. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. Enjoy your Canadian spring. Oh, hey, it's finally getting here. <laughs> yeah, finally. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.